Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, here to help me along are my co-host, Jude Nana. Jude, Anna, what was the third age of your life? Oh, God. Was it grad school? I mean, we all know that Jude has not passed into the West, but unfortunately went further East. That's true. <laughs> That's a good but, pun. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Man, I don't even know. What is the third age? Uh, I think that would be, let's see. So the third age, see, you opened the, you opened know, the can of worms. Yeah. Now you got, now you got to fucking deal with it. Let's see. So the third age, are we, I mean, are, am I allowed to bring into account the various, the years of the lamps and the years of the trees into this metaphor? <laughs> or am I strictly, I have no idea strictly what bounded is. into the years of the sun here? I legitimately have no idea what that means. <laughs> Uh, well, if you listen to this month's episode of Athrobeth, this month being the month that I'm recording this, not the month this comes out, <laughs> like, you know, next year. Um, so if you listen to you can eight hear months ago, oh, Athrobeth. Eight months ago, Athrobeth, all about uh, the sundering of the elves, you will get a brief summary of the timeline of Middle-earth. The first way that time was measured in Middle-earth, there were two fuck-off big lamps. Uh, Middle Earth was originally a target, like the target logo target. And on each side, I'm not even joking. It was a circle with an island in the middle. It was the target. It was the target logo. And on each side, there was a fuck off big lamp in it on each side. And then Morgoth was all, fuck your lamps. Bow, bow, bow. And he knocked them down and it fucked up all the, all the, the land. And that's how Middle Earth came to be like in the form that it's in like, now they were like the the Valar had to like run around and try and like put all the land back together before the whole planet fell apart. It wasn't a planet then; it was a plate. It's a whole other thing. Uh, and then it was the year of the trees, because then one of the goddesses, not goddess powers, Valar, uh, made two fuck off big trees that shone like the moon and the sun and made like different kinds of light. Uh, and then a big spider that came out of nowhere and nobody knows what it is. Uh, that was Valar uh, Morgoth's girlfriend. Buddy, he was afraid of her. Kinky. Top? I don't know. You 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 interpret it. Uh she bit the tree and sucked it dry and killed the trees. And that was the year that was the end of the age of the tree, the years of the trees. And then the sun shows up, and that's when they start counting the years of the sun. And then within the years of the sun, you have the first, second, and third, and then some other stuff, ages. <laughs> This conversation has gone some places. I mean, I can go deeper if you want. I mean, I can talk about what demarcates the the ages and how Tolkien regarded us as being either in the fifth age or the seventh age, depending on when you ask. Like him. us, as in like humanity, like as in like yeah. in the nineteen fifties. In the nineteen fifties, okay. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, Middle Earth was was envisioned as a as a mythic prehistory. I, I, I knew of that the world. So. He wanted he 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 was once asked like what age are we in and at about two thousand years per age roughly first age is a little bit longer than the others uh, or shorter I forget um, they don't always they don't all line up uh, he he said like oh we're about the fifth age and then he was like oh wait no maybe they're a little longer maybe they're a little shorter I don't know let's call it the seventh age maybe the sixth seventh age something like that World War One that was probably the end of an age. Uh, and then he was like, yeah, good enough. So, uh, in answer to your question, um, the dawn of my third age was probably, probably after I got cancer. I think that probably demarcated the death of one version of me and the, 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 the rise, the advent of a new one that feels like an appropriately apocalyptic event in someone's life to mark a third age. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, either that or like. The first time I watched Babylon 5, that seems right to you. <laughs> a little bit a little younger. 
Good luck editing that, Zathras. <laughs> and it's mostly you talking, so like, it's it's all one train of thought. There's there. nowhere to cut. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be one of those episodes, guys. Oh, you got a you got a pithy remark for this? <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, I I mean, I'm up? I'm coming off of like eight hours last night in the vet ER, so my brain is slightly slightly fried right now. Um, We're going to have Loria just, like, grip you by the shoulders and put some, like, juice into you. <laughs> I, hey, I don't want Lorian's oh, that juice. That sounds... I was just going to say, <laughs> that, that sounds a little dirty right there. I... I he's creepy. I, I, I don't... He's got... Seb- you don't want his weirdly long fingers on you? And and he's got Sebastian voice. Yeah. I, th- I think... I feel like I'm going to go with... Maybe, maybe just straight up, like, when I finished my, like, all of my various training-y things. So, like, done with university, done with grad school, done with postdoc, and, like, I'm a real fucking adult now. Okay. Valid. With, like, you know, no longer, no longer, like, on a clock. Okay. See, I would have, I, I, I didn't even do grad school. Or anything like that. But for me, in my my version of that would have been the point at which I stopped waking up in a cold sweat at night thinking I had homework due. Because I feel like there's a point at which you get out of school and it's not the ending of school which marks the end of your educational life. It's the point at which your your subconscious mm. no longer is afraid of the fact that you're in school. Because for me, that was like an extra two years before I stopped waking up in a cold <laughs> sweat thinking, did I have a paper due? No, no, I'm I'm 26. I I I stopped writing papers like by obligation a long time ago. I have like, look, I've I've woken up in cold sweats before thinking that I had a summary that I had to do but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> see, I feel like I feel like the you going from like the perpetual feeling of like always having to come up with like you know, always having to like immediately plan for whatever's next. Like, you know, when you're in university, you know, you're planning for like, you know, what am I going to do for grad school when you're in grad school? It's like, you know, where the hell am I going to get a job afterward when you're in the postdoc? It's like, well, I've got, you know, in like one more year, they're going to kick me out. So uh, better figure out what is going on here. And going from that that to like, uh, Specifically, non tenure track job is was like, yeah, like I buy that. Yeah, so much, so much less stress, which also basically aligned with me turning thirty. So, mm. roughly, so there's that. Uh, that makes sense. So tonight we're going to do one brief segue before we get into the episode coverage, which is that. Last week, while I was preparing this episode summary, which was 1,500 words, and this is going to be a really long episode, and I apologize for that, Lorian just looks like Saru, doesn't he? You're not uh, wrong. You know that meme, like... We have Saru at home. We have Saru, Saru at home. I want Saru. We have Saru at home. <laughs> Saru at home is Lorian. Uh, brilliant. That, brilliant. That's, that's, that's what it is. And and I can never get over the fact that he has the same actor as like Babylon 5's Jack the Ripper. And it like Nor should you. Yeah. It never ceases to bother me because every time he opens his damn mouth, like you're it, you're like You wanna tell him get away from her and get a job. Yeah, like yeah. like you're you're primed to th- like the show wants you to think that like he's going to say something profound and you, instead you're like no he's Jack the Ripper fuck you yeah he's going to shake a prostitute <laughs> on that transitory note we are covering one episode this evening that is season four episode six into the fire written by mean, J Michael you mean the end of season the season four finale. No. Uh, no. <laughs> right? You beat me to the joke. I was literally prepping to make that exact same joke. So, um, that is written by J.B. and directed by Kevin Dobson. We're going to start with the B-plot, which starts on Centauri Prime, where Londo has assumed control as Prime Minister. He orders the palace cleared of everyone who is loyal to Cartagia and summons the ministers of war, intelligence, transportation, and security. 
After Londo dismisses the foppish minister, he says to Veer they must also find Morden. The Minister of Intelligence approaches Malari in private and asks to speak to him regarding a personal matter. He asks about Adira and notes that her poisoning was linked to the attempted poisoning of Lord Riva earlier last year. He was ordered by Cartagia not to speak about it to Londo while he lived. Now that Cartagia has kicked the bucket, he reveals that it was not Riva who ordered Adira killed, but instead Mr. Morden. Londo, crushed, orders the minister to leave, and Londo rages at how easily he was played, destroying furniture in his chambers. That poor vase. Morden is delivered to Londo, and he is no longer crispy. Morden demands to know why this is happening. Londo says that the Vorlon ships are coming, and now that Cartagia is dead, Morden is to withdraw his ships. Morden says the Vorlons would not attack a civilian at a target this large. The ships stay. Londo, wanting some privacy, has his guard spray the room with automatic energy fire, killing to the two shadows next to Morden. Morden claims that Londo is insane. Londo says that, on some days, not really. On today, hell yeah he is. He asks Morden to remove the ships again, and Morden refuses again. Londo reminds him that these ships are on the ground. Morden says that they would sense any approaching ship. So Londo, too, will blow up the island? Londo's response is, fuck yes, I would. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love the size of Londo's tentacles in this fucking scene. That he's just like, what are you going to do, blow up the island? And Londo's like... Yeah, motherfucker, that's exactly what I've got on in mind. With It's at every level, too, because Morden's like, oh, you can't touch me because I have a shadow on either side of me. And Londo's like, kill them. And then they <laughs> die. And then Morden's like, oh, well, you can't touch the ships because our ships are undefeatable in space or in the air. And Londo's like, well, bitch, they're they're not in the air. Yeah. And Morden's it's like just... Morden's like, your own people would be there. Londo's like, bitch, they know what to do for the Republic. Um yeah. so Londo, in a gesture that we will see like makes John feel like incredible nuclear penis envy <laughs> later in this episode, uh nukes the island of Salini. And tells Morden that they have evacuated most of the island's population over the last evening. Londo hoped that there would be any other options, but he was left no choice. As Morden is carried away, he says the Shadow's allies will not stand for what he has done. Londo says he is just getting started. Veer approaches Londo, and Londo is enthusiastic. He invites Veer into the garden as he has a gift for him, as proof that the last of the Shadows have been removed from Centauri Prime. Veer goes into the garden and finds that Veer has had his question to the Shadow's question fulfilled. Morden's head on a pike. Veer waves. So good. (laughs) My all-time favorite gif from this entire show, even more than the bester (laughs) jerk-off, is Veer's little, like... Little little wave up to the and the, and both the, of the, the little wave head. gifts are so good. Yeah, there's two, yeah. and they're both yeah. amazing. One one is very like snarky and like very very like fuck you snarky, and the other is just very like shy, but also like <laughs> fuck you. It's great. They're both fantastic. Londo gleefully tells Veer he has told the Vorlons the shadows have been completely removed. But Veer does better. There is still one thing on the planet that has been touched by the shadows. Londo. The Vorlon planet killer slowly arrives, eclipsing the sun. However, just as it is about to strike, it leaves, answering a call from the Vorlon fleet. And now we're going to, like, flip the deck over and move to the A-plot. Hold on, hold on. You missed the most important part of that scene, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Londo does ask Veer to kill him. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of leave it out. I mean, that's, bury the lead a little bit. I have fit, this is a fifteen hundred word outline. All right. Well, I'm just going to take up your, the time on the episode at the back end. Yeah, we, the back end is fine. We just have to get through this. We are, all right. All right. This is clearly meant to be three episodes. Yeah, this is this is for the back half of a season. Yeah. The A plot opens with a lot of a giving her personal log, like a day in the past. 
She's stuck on first one searching duty, and she's getting impatient with waiting. Ivanova tells Lorianne that they already have five first ones, but Lorianne says that it's important that they have all of them. And yes, I'm just going to change pronunciation of Lorianne based on however the fuck I feel like it. Fuck you. Um, Lorianne <laughs> understands that gotta catch them all. Yeah. Pokemon! After some talk of Sheridan's strategies, they see the last first one has arrived, who's like a big glowing fireball. And Lorianne says they are almost as old as the Vorlons. We then cut back to the attack fleet, where the White Stars are moving on a Vorlon base. They destroy the observation post, then proceed to their staging area. While in hyperspace, they they convene with the rest of the fleet of the Alliance, which total thousands of ships from over two dozen species. John orders Lanier for them to start. On the ship, Lita speaks with Marcus about why they are choosing Coriana instead of Centauri Prime. Marcus says that Coriana 6 has twice the population, and it's unfortunately just cult numbers. I do not believe this. I believe the, that the option was the Centauri have dug their own fucking grave, and they're just not <laughs> saying it. Yeah, because Coriana is a, is a low-tech planet that was, like, forced to have the Shadows land. Yeah. While Centauri Prime was just, like... Please, please land on our planet and you will turn us into gods. As White Star yeah. 1, which I, I don't have a better way to differentiate the White Stars. So I, White Star 1 is just where Delenn and John are banging right now. Hold on. I'm sorry. I, I respect that this is a long summary. But do you really think that Delenn and Sheridan haven't, you know, christened every White Star in the fleet? I mean, that's just a lot of White Stars. <laughs> I st- I stand on my statement. No white star goes into goes into official deployment without having been look without at least having interspecies sex. When we launched boats, we hit them across the bow with a bottle of champagne. When the alliance launches a white star, Sheridan plows Delenn. I'm just saying that's how this works. Meanwhile, on White Star 1... Silence, they, silence is, is confirmation. They received the transmission from Ivanova that all the first ones have been found. Delenn suggests telling Ivanova to delay coming to the fight because apparently her mom energy just cannot be contained. But John says to Delenn that he had promised that Ivanova would be there at the end and has Delenn command Ivanova to come home. On Babylon 5, Susan is preparing to leave and talks with Lorien about the fate of his race. All of his race have either died or left the galaxy. Lorien is the last and the first. Susan expresses disbelief that he was the first sentient being, because really, how would evolution choose to make that the first sentient being? Um, <laughs> she says that it could be could not be true. Uh, everything dies Lorian says that they were born immortal but it was a trait his people slowly lost they nourished and helped the first ones grow he tells Susan to enjoy what little relative time humanity has to treasure their mortality as Ivanova's white star approaches the battle Ivanova fumes with impatience on Sheridan's ship they remark about how they can't win but their assembled fleet is good by some measure of it Sheridan says that hopefully the truth will set them free, ominous as ever. Between surprise and telepathy, they might be able to do something. Ivanova arrives at Koriana, and the Shadow and Vorlon, uh, like knowing their stage directions, arrive shortly after. They are on a course towards each other. To get their attention, Sheridan, just like realizing Lando got to nuke an island, well, fuck this, just pops off the entire nuclear arsenal out. And, uh, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a John Sheridan move without nuking an asteroid field. He is the most nuke-happy protagonist in all of fiction. Or he's the most uh, he's the most likable nuke-happy protagonist. Yeah, there thank you. Go. you. I was go. gonna say, Dad likes a nuke, but more importantly, you still like him afterwards, which is hard to do. Let's be real. Yeah. So um, John hails the Vorlons and pleads the shadows force the residents of Coriana to house them. The Vorlons do not respond. Lita tries to make contact with the Vorlons, but the battle continues to rage. As the Vorlon planet killer arrives, the first ones are brought in as reinforcements, slowly turning the tide. Instead of responding to the Alliance's hails, the Vorlons simply call for reinforcements. As John and Delenn speak with Lorien, Lita is taken over by the Shadows and the Vorlons simultaneously, and draw Delenn and Sheridan into a psychic worldscape. But separate ones. Plural. Psychic worldscapes. 
Uh, John speaks with the short with the Vorlons, who just have a lady on ice as their like physical psychic representation. The Vorlons insist that they only want to help lesser races. The shadows are a disease, and the Vorlons just wish to remove them. John questions why they haven't struck at the shadows directly, but doesn't get a reply. He says that he understands, and understanding's a three-edged side. Their side, your side, and the truth. And the truth is the younger races don't need the Vorlons. That this is all about ideology. It does. It's not about winning. It's just about proving who's right. The Shadows question Delenn and says the Vorlons are an evolutionary dead end, useless, unchanging. Races must grow, and conflict makes them grow. They claim this is a cycle of history facilitating conflict. Delenn and Sharon both come to the same conclusion that this is not actually a war. That this is not a war to end wars, but simply a war of dialect of dialectic. The Vorlons and Shadows were supposed to be shepherds, but they've lost their way. They do not help races grow, but instead control them. Delenn and Sheridan say they are refusing to choose. Lorian pulls them from their vision, and the Shadow Cloud starts to swallow the entire fleet, dropping the in- all the ships into extreme cold, shutting down their engines. A Vorlon and Shadow, like, psychically project themselves onto the bridge or something, or, like, hologram them. I don't know what's going on here. And Lorian insists that they are here... They, that they are there to hear a choice. John repeats the Vorlons and Shadows question, saying that even they cannot answer what they want or who they are. And they cannot guide the younger races, and they're going to break the cycle. They are going to choose for themselves to not participate. The Shadows say no one will be able to, to listen to this if Sheridan can't spread the message, so they try to send a missile at the ship. But um, a Drazi warship intercepts the missile, taking the bullet for them. Pour one out for the Drazi warship. Yeah, that purple team. Yep. <laughs> it's a purple team flagship. <laughs> the Alliance ships surround the flagship, and they claim they refuse to fight in this way anymore. And John tells them to get the hell off his lawn. Lorian tells the Shadows and Vorlons that it is time for them to leave the galaxy. The shadows ask. Oh, Dad's mad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the shadows ask Lorian if he will come with them, and he says he will, and they will join the others. Lorian says to John and Delent that they are now the shepherds, and he looks forward today that they will join them beyond the rim. The first ones, Lorian, the Vorons, and the shadows, all leave, fucking off to somewhere else. Back on Centauri Prime, Veer and Londo talk about the war being over. Veer says that Londo should be happy, but Londo worries about the universe punishing him because it goddamn should. Um, <laughs> Londo says he might need to head to Babylon 5 with Veer, as he's created quite a stir on the homeworld because, you know, he's duped an island and killed a king. You know, those things tend to piss people off. Norm- normal Friday night things. Yeah, Veer and Londo <laughs> embrace, and it's a really touching scene, and I just have a lot of feelings about it. Like, I don't need to describe these feelings because they're just good, warm, bussy feelings, but they're good. Finally, the fleet returns to Babylon 5, and John and Delenn remark that they're alone now, and it's all up to them. It is a new age, the third age of mankind. These token-loving motherfuckers. John remarks that it feels like the magic is gone. Delenn insists that it is not gone. But that they must make their own magic now. Oh, she's go, talking wow, wow. about fucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah! That's the. I'm glad that we've sufficiently set our brand in this podcast. So that the minute, the, the minute Justin is finished with that sentimental moment, we both dove straight for the, both dove straight for the joke. We're proud of us. <laughs> So I I have a question for Justin. Yes. Did you expect to have to ever have good feelings about Londo ever again? Um, I I did because I expected like there was gonna like as soon as the season four plot I think started, I think that's when like we knew I knew that I was gonna have feelings about like liking Londo again. And not just, like, I like the direction of Londo's character, but he's going to have moments that are going to make me sympathize for him. Like, season four has done that in its first six episodes very well of, like, focusing. I I, I don't want to say that it's, like, getting back to basics, but it's sort of like a brief focusing of the character into, like, it's sort of, like, trying to work to pull it back from, like, being an absolute fuckwit. Yeah. So I have a... 
I have a, a, a view on this, and it's thus. For me, this series of episodes, ending with Into the Fire, but really this whole series of episodes, like the last, all of season four, really, but particularly like the last three episodes. The homeworld arc. Yeah, to me, emphasize one thing, and that's that Londo Malari is, when he's standing there telling Veer, like, blow me away. I'm the last shadow corrupted thing here. Fucking end me. And that's like the peak of this of this arc he has on this homeworld thing. But it starts all the way back when he's not starts there, but like you even see it when he's around his little like CPK table of collusion and all the other ministers are there in their little red lit room on Narn saying like, well, you're part of the problem, Alari. And he's like, yup, I'll pay for that later. Right now we have to save homeworld. And to me, what what they're, what this really crystallizes for me is that Londo Malari is a shitty person who is 100% willing to do anything up to and including sacrifice himself for the good of his people and his homeworld. The problem with Londo Malari is that that anything also includes genocide and war crimes. Yeah. His anything is when people say they'll do anything – they mean meatloaf anything. They mean I would do anything but not that. Londo Malari does not have a but that. Londo Malari will do anything to save his people. To 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 for his people. And that includes war crimes and sometimes genocide. And that's not great. If you do it against your own people, it's not war crimes. It's just crimes against humanity. I'm sorry. That, that was that was the joke I had, and it just it had to happen. <laughs> So I totally agree with you on that, Jude. And I, I feel like also there's a big aspect of him getting to Homeworld at the you know season four, episode one, and being like, oh, shit, what did I do? Yeah. That seeing the, that's the, the moment, results like, of his of his labors. That first time that he sees Cartagia and like you can see like the, the gears start to turn and be like, what the shit? him realizing i think that's the point where he really does realize that indeed all of this is his fault that he did this like he is the one who put that awful insane serial killer on the throne he's the one who started the war with narn he's the one who brought the shadows to that planet and now he has to try to fix it yeah but it's it's a big turning point of like him because he's been so divorced from Centauri Prime, right? Like he's hard he in the first three seasons, he goes back what, like a couple of times. Veer, I think, mm-hmm. goes back to Centauri Prime more than he does. Yeah. Yeah. So I th- don't think that he realized what was happening back home. Agreed. I really I really believe that Londo is a character who they wanted to show was focused entirely on one thing. But because he lived in exile, he had a very narrow view of what that thing was. He didn't understand the consequences. Not that it's an excuse, but like, so in, in computing, there's this very old concept called GIGO, garbage in, garbage out, <laughs> which the basic concept of you, if you put bad data into your system, you get bad data out, right? That's, that's Londo. Londo is bad data in, bad data out. He had this antiquated bullshit notion of what homeworld was and what their destiny should be. So he's making all these insane decisions based on this. And because he's a man with functionally no moral boundaries when it comes to what he's willing to do to achieve this goal, awful, insane, like galaxy affecting things happen. But when he gets out to homeworld, as you say, and he sees what he's done and what homeworld is and what the Centauri people actually are now. He's he's finally actually calculating with some real data and he's like, well, fuck me sideways. There's no homeworld left. Like, if I don't fix something here, there'll be no homeworld left. So now I gotta turn I gotta turn this boat around and he 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 manages it. Yeah. I mean, barely. But you know, and, and not entirely on his own. I mean he's lucky that Sheridan sort of, you know, pulls off his Jesus moment and kicks 
everything out of the galaxy. Yeah, because I do not believe for one moment that even if even if Veer had, you know, blown away Londo and, you know, Snapchatted no. the Vorlons a picture of his corpse. Um, nope. Like 100% agree that the, the Vorlons, Vorlons, the Vorlons were always going to destroy Centauri Prime. There's nothing that Londo could have done to stop this. Yeah. No, they. I absolutely agree that they would have lasered Centauri Prime. Like, just the just the fact that the shadows had been there literally at all ever. I don't know about that. I don't think it was just that they had been there, but, but I think the fact that the Centauri welcomed them, yeah, and even if they at the eleventh hour turned them away and got rid of them, I would think. And I so, think that that would make the Centauri too corrupted, too tainted for the Vorlons. It still damns them. Yeah. 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 Londo got lucky there. And I'm going to guess, I have no recollection of season five, really. Uh, so I'm going to guess that Londo, being the good good fellow that he is, he's going to be super gracious and cool with Sheridan for the rest of the show. And there's going to be no hard feelings between the two of them. And he's going to respect and understand Sheridan's role in saving his home world. <laughs> we haven't seen any flash forwards that would contradict that notion, have we? <laughs> good. Cool. Glad we're on the same page there. I, I do I do love this though because we've spent so much of season three like hating Londo's guts. And I mean, I think we still sort of hate Londo's guts, but it brings more nuance to the table. It's weird because he like like he doesn't really do anything in the back half of like season three of season three beyond like killing Rifa and like at the very, very start of the second half of season three being a shitty colonialist with their guards to veer. Like, yeah. like he's really only got two episodes in the back half of season three. Um, I also need to, uh, quickly, uh, stomp on you a little bit for your Tolkien reference there. While I do appreciate that the third age horse shenanigans is absolutely a Tolkien reference and JMS can, uh, suck an elf. If he if he wants to try and say that he is not making a Tolkien reference with this Third Age nonsense, technically the end of the War of the Ring was the end of the Third Age and was the start of the Fourth Age. So he either he 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 intentionally got it wrong. Just saying, uh, but yes, just to be precise, I, I knew that was a thing. I must be. <laughs> uh, yes, no, you're correct. It is a thing. But uh, in the Lord the Lord of the Rings, the ring gets destroyed. Spoilers. And uh, that is the end of the Third Age of uh, of the Third Age of Middle Earth, and is the beginning of the Fourth Age, the, the Age of Men. And now, and now for the the rest of season four, we just have the hobbits going back to the Shire. Yeah, that's pretty much honestly disturbingly true. Pretty accurate. Yeah, pretty accurate. So while we're talking about the Centauri, I have to say one thing: I love Morton's Centauri hairdo. Yeah, he's very like I'm going. I'm, I'm like I'm getting over the local fashions. Like I found a wonderful hairdresser on Cellini. Like he's got the full Centauri <laughs> do, and it's it's so bad, and I love it. Do you think so? Here's going back to our whole like Morden is a weird clone theory. <laughs> what if he's so he's like okay? I got a whole idea here now. He's like all flaky and weird, right? Mm-hmm. That's not normal. You can't nuke a human <laughs> and have them just get like a really gross skin condition that would get them like 10,000 upvotes on the peeling subreddit. No, no, you you liquefy. You well, you, you atomize. Uh, well, if you're too if you're that if close. You're, well, yeah, or, if you're that if you're that close, assuming that he wasn't close enough to just be in the vaporization radius, which is bonkers considering the size of that nuke. But beyond that, yeah, he, you, you, you're right. Your, like, your cells would, yeah, your, the cell walls break down, and you turn into to human soup, uh, or human cancer soup. One of the two. Um, what if he's a fungus? <laughs> you kill. No, I'm serious. Tell me. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining no, that beer is holding noble. Chernobyl, one of the one of the things that survives best right around the reactor zone, they found like mushrooms and shit growing like in like right around the edge of the the dome thing. They sent little robots in there and there's like fungus growing all over the goddamn reactor underneath the shield, right? Yeah. Fungus is like radiation loves it. Not loves it, but like it's pretty resistant. So 
what if he's a, like a mold man that like just regrows whenever you need him? Oh God. They just grow him like in a field of slime and they just have like mordants that they just pluck and send out to do stuff for him. I'm imagining. I'm and imagining that's just like, him like flaking off. Did, did I don't know if you had those things cells. as a kid where it was like the thing where you put it in water and it like grew to be like a dinosaur or whatever from like yeah. a pill. Oh, oh yeah. Like those little, those little capsules. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. You just throw us, you throw a mordant spore down into a, down into a culture and he just grows and wherever he grows, he just happens to grow to look like whatever he is. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, Morden looked human when he first grew, but now he's regenerating amongst the Centauri. So he's just automatically growing Centauri hair. What about his dicks, though? We don't know what's under there. Yeah. Um, so I have a thing now that I'm thinking of with this. And I'm just going to get the Londo voice ready because I, I'm going to read this because now I'm just thinking of Morden as a fungus. I have to read this. Mr. Garibaldi. Tell me the name of God, you fungal piece of shit. Can you feel your heart burning, Malari? Can you feel the struggle within? The fear within me is beyond anything your soul can make. You cannot kill me in a way that matters. I'm not fucking scared of you. I don't know what you just read. I'm referencing a Tumblr meme from like 2014. (laughs) Of course. But just the idea of Londo holding a knife and just saying, tell me the name of God, you fungal piece of shit, to, to Morden is just, I'm, I'm legitimately considering commissioning a comics artist now for that. Do it. I hate that. Uh, okay, Payday's I demand Thursday. it. I demand it. Uh, in, our, in, our, in our Babylon 5, in our... In our version of Babylon 5, I think I'm going to have to insist that Morden is a uh, uh, Morden, original Morden died, uh, but for whatever reason, they selected him to be their fungus person template. I feel and like they- I feel like he didn't die immediately is the thing. I feel like he was like grievously wounded and then like toadied up to them for immortality and then like died and then they rebuilt him. Oh, that's good. No, no, even, okay, that's good. So the humans that survived all get set off into ships, but he's too damaged to be a sh- to be put into a ship. So the and but he doesn't want to die, and he's a little sh- you know bootlicker. Like the personality comes through, <laughs> so they're like, we can you know if you serve, we can we can save you, we can make you live forever. We and he's like, yes, him. absolutely, we have the technology. Do it. So what do they do? They throw him into a a vat of like protein nutrients, and then they seed him with with spores, and he becomes like. The corpse of Morden becomes the base on which they grow all the other fungal Mordens. <laughs> and then they just pluck them and send them out into space to do their bidding. So somewhere on Zaha Doom, there's like the rotting corpse of OG Morden with little Morden, Morden sprouts coming off that they pluck to send out to go do business for them. This sounds very shadows, honestly. JMS, hit me up. I know all about Tolkien. So obviously I'm an appropriate person to do more Babylon 5. What's up? <laughs> All right. Uh, now that we finished dunking on Morden clones, where are we, uh, what do we want to talk about? Uh, nukes? Can we talk about nukes? Sure. Um, John, John, mind that asteroid with nukes, Sheridan. My, my favorite and least favorite things about this episode. Um, favorite is the whole scene with Londo and Morden where he's just like, I got some shadow bodyguards. Fuck you, black. You, my ships are dangerous in the air. Londo's like, whatever, nukes. Like, Londo is so in control in that scene, and you love that because Morden has been so smug the whole show. Through four goddamn seasons, Morden has been like, the only time Morden has ever not been in control is when he literally got nuked by a nut bar. He gets up there with Londo, and I love that, like, he. I bet you Morden is not a big fan of nukes. <laughs> I, Just I, going out on a limb and saying that that's twice now he's been screwed by nukes. Not a fan, I'm guessing, for, if for like the 14 minutes that he had to think about it uh, before his head was chopped off and put on a pike. Uh, and then you have uh, war crime dad, John Sheridan, who... Uh, <laughs> At the end of his military career is just like, got to get me one more, <laughs> one more time. Got to use them nukes. 
Just got to do just it. Just kind of mine, mine yet another asteroid field. In his defense, mining is, you know, as the United States would, would tell you, there's nothing, mines are not a war crime. No matter what the UN says, shut the fuck up, you damn hippies. <laughs> uh, mines are great. Uh, he mines the shit out of those mines, but he does not put any sort of hospital beacon on them yep. or wounded ship beacon on he them. He just puts them in, just in the middle of the two fleets. Yep. And just waits. So that's fine. That's, you know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm you just cool call this. You call the Vorlons North Korea, you call the Shadows South Korea, or, or flip that, you know, whatever, however you want to ideologically align the two of them. Uh, and John Sheridan is clearly the United States and is in the right. No no problem there, right? <laughs> Squints. <laughs> I, right, maybe not. For once, I am not touching that one. I, I am attempting to make a slightly heavy-handed suggestion that uh, mine, mining the asteroids is... Uh, in the moment, seems like a fair and just thing to do, but uh, mines are are a shitty thing for any any anything anyone to use. What if one of those rocks with a nuke on it just sort of like flies off in the middle of nowhere and then runs into a colony and nukes it off the face of the earth? Listen, there's or only a colony space. with like you said there's a colony with six billion people in the system. Ooh, <laughs> what if it? Yeah, what if one mine gets free and just like airdrops down in, onto the surface? Dunzo. Yeah, and just just broadly, this whole battle taking place like practically in like the backyard of a planet with six billion people on it is like uncomfortable. Yeah, right. I mean, I get it. You got to make some sacrifices in a war, but like, I don't know. Given that their whole justification for this is like we don't want to risk six billion people, so let's have an apocalyptic fight between the two most ancient and dangerous fleets that anyone alive can, has seen barring you know the first sentient being yeah that makes sense let's I mean, have it on their doorstep i assume it's happening at least like a reasonable distance probably what's a reasonable distance when it comes to a fleet of starships so ancient and powerful that <laughs> they've been around since life existed i mean apparently like apparently like the the planet killer has a has a maximum range so i mean that's at least something i mean you know i mean i will quote mass effect 2 here that isaac newton is the deadliest son of a bitch in the goddamn galaxy um <laughs> uh that's the most evidently quotable line from like of any background chatter <laughs> okay so i gotta i gotta ask here how do you feel about the end of the Shadow War? Like, as in how it resolves? Um, mixed. I'm 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 a I'm a fan of it thematically. I think it works thematically. But it's I think fucking it is rushed. rushed. Yeah, this should have been three episodes. There's almost like there's no build up to this idea of we're gonna talk the shadows and Borlons down from this. Yeah, like it's just sort of introduced and it happens. Yeah, I think it's very, very obvious that this should have been like a half a season minimum. Yeah, that and this this past six episodes that we've done should have been a season. Yeah, season four. Yeah, the first six episodes of yeah, exactly the first six episodes of season four should have been season four, uh, for sure. And then like everything else in season four should have been season five, and then. Got only and then because they it's, on it's, the record said season five is like he pulled that straight out of his ass after he got a, another season. I think it's funny because it's like I think for like pacing wise, the Centauri Narn plot is perfectly paced. Yeah, yeah. I suspect that that was written like normal, and then all the Babylon Five based stuff was the narr like the overarching narrative he was trying to squatch down into fit into these six episodes. Like I get, the, I get the production issues that occur with this because yeah. of what happened and everything. It's just like it, it, it's funny to me, like how one of the plots just did so perfectly well with like that compression, and yeah. the other one is just like, like I said, it, it's thematically, it's like Cliff's Notes. It's it's like yeah, it's the Cliff Notes version of it. It feels like I'm like I've missed an episode or something. Yeah, yeah, I think. 
the way I, I, I look, especially now watching it critically, it, it really feels like two shows. There's the show that he was trying to do in one whole season that got squished down. And then there's everything else he was doing inside those episodes at the same time. Because all the stuff he was doing when it was not that A plot, all the B plots are fine pacing wise and like content wise. It's just that A plot that he thought he had a season to do. And now he has 24 episodes to do an entire season. Uh, You know, he has got to finish his show in one season and he thought he had two seasons to do it. And now he's got to squash two seasons down into this. He thought he had at least two seasons and now he thinks he's only got one. And so he's mashing it in. And so that a plot where he's pushing this big galactic plot around is getting squished in and it suffers the most that a plot suffers the most egregiously for that compression. And this is, this is like of all the a plot that got compressed. I feel like this is the part that suffers the most thinking about Mm -hmm. the rest of season four. Agreed. I mean, I might have some, we might have some words about like the upcoming episodes because I think they're I think for a lot of them they're pretty rough. Uh, well, well, we shall see. Um, Which what what are you referring to? Yeah, why the fuck would you when you're sitting down to outline a season? Why would you think let's do the finale of my series long plot in the first six episodes so we can leave room to do another goddamn journalism episode? choices were made bad ones anyway yeah we we've had a few a few tolkien jokes on this episode so far mm-hmm. uh just a few one just or two. just one or two uh i have another tolkien thing that i want to pull out oh here. is this the one i swore at you about in the album uh-huh, uh-huh so we've already had one thing that felt to me like the elves leaving middle earth and heading into the west with um you know, the drawl saying that he's going to, you know, head out to the stars, you know, that he's going to go to the sea. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing that really feels like it to me is the first ones and Lorien leaving for the rim. Yeah, no, absolutely. Although I, w- it's why I made I the actually- passing into the West joke earlier. <laughs> yeah, no, I, totally. But I actually thought you were talking about something else when you made that, when you said we've already had one, I thought you were talking about the techno wizard. Oh, Oh, or the techno majors. Oh yeah. I mean, we've got, we've had a few things that like totally, that. Yeah, that totally felt like a elves going into the West for me there. But yes, absolutely draw as well. Like, yeah, no, draw totally. draw with the kind of like the thing that's both sad and sort of joyous. Mm-hmm. Um, where like he feels like he's fulfilling a part of his destiny and purpose and finding meaning for himself. Yeah, and like spiritual fulfillment. No, I thought that was a great analysis. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree that this is for sure. A very much like that as well. Um, the idea of th- the elder race giving up its place as the dominant, its dominant place in the universe and going beyond. I'm trying to decide how much credit I want to give JMS here. Like, do I think he's directly ripping off the whole going into the West thing with, with the going beyond the Galactic Rim? This is one of those times where I think it's actually, it could go either way. But I think it was certainly in his head. It's a concept that's not unique to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's definitely a trope for sure. It's yeah. definitely something that's, I think, at least certain nerd circles most iconic in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, agreed. It's a good way of putting it. I think my favorite little detail from this episode is when Delenn has her reaction to John telling Devonava to haul ass back to the fleet yeah and <laughs> what does this mean haul ass <laughs> that's a that sounds like a very undignified position to find oneself in and it's just i love the things that delenn does with these like learning english idioms it's so fun yeah uh, i've always wondered whether actually maybe it mirrors mira furlan's gesticulating wildly because you're you and i are literally having the same <laughs> thought right now I was exact. That's like twice now in this episode. You three times in this episode. I guess we're you on have, the same page here. Yeah, beating me to the, to to the exact same idea. I had, yeah, exactly. Uh, as a non-native English speaker, I, I often have wondered how much of her own 
acquisition of English uh, informed Delenn's love of idiom in this performance. Because I know JMS wasn't huge on improvisation, but I, I wonder how much he like used her her knowledge of of English acquisition when he was writing that character and worked with her on that. Cause it, it does feel very natural the way she uh, is bemused by the nonsense that is the English language. It's like bemused and amused at yeah. the same time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, she's having fun with it. And, and at the very least, I think that um, Mira is bringing, bringing something really unique to the delivery yeah. regardless of anything else. I love that she has this like, she bo- she is being both very honest about how like confused and amused she is by these things but at the same time she always has this sort of like smiling flirty look on her face when she's doing it for when she's talking to John about this stuff like it's an inside joke with them for for her to like do this with him yeah it's become a bit it's a bit basically for her with him to like do this to to like bring her linguistic confusions uh, to say these linguistic confusions out loud. And I like that. I like that for her. It's so cute. I should have had like a nuke counter going off in this episode. <laughs> for like how many on-screen nuclear explosions we have. Just like that. Just thinking that I'm like, yeah, you know that. It's a lot. Like a worrying amount. Gosh. Like four? Right? Something like that. Wow. That's, that's a lot of nukes yeah. for <laughs> one episode. So I have a question, which is how do people feel about the... Putting aside how it felt, you know, the pacing issues, etc. How do people feel about the Vorlon shadow mindscape scenes? I think it's an idea. It was an uh, idea someone had, and they like in the nineties. There was right. This was when downers were the th- were a thing. That that, that <laughs> when, when downers was the preferred <laughs> drug of choice. All right, easy now. <laughs> Um, the former drug addict says, I've been there. Um, in the nineties, you, I'm thinking back to like other shows that did similar kinds of like telepathy brain stuff. Right. Um, did you ever watch that really weird show about the girl that could like connect her computer to like someone's brain with VR goggles and then like fuck about in their dreams via (laughs) VR? No. It sounds no, familiar, not. and I, I have hate watched myself the, for saying I, it. I have watched the Generation X pilot, however. I think it was called VR5. At the very least, I... Yeah, VR5, with Laurie Singer, really, and David McCall. Wow, there's Anthony Head, too? Good cast. Banging, jeezy pizzas. Anyway, this show is fucking bananas, because she literally would... Put on. This was like right at the edge of this is 95, same era as Babylon 5. And she would put on like the big, like William Gibson style, like goggles and gloves, and then like put her phone on like the encoder, the rotary, like the, the thing. And then like, like modem noise into someone's brain and then like fuck about for secrets and stuff. It was like inception by way of, an early William Gibson story. It was bonkers. My point though, was there was this whole like perception of like, how do we talk about, how do we depict being inside, inside, like affecting someone's mind or being in someone's mind or something like that in the nineties. And their solution was rotoscoping (laughs) and weird like and greens and like weird green screen like anonymous landscapes so many shows did this like i could if i if i made an effort i could probably name 10 shows that were within like the genre you know within like the sci-fi fantasy genre in the 90s and early 2000s that all did this exact same thing and b5 is just one of them that was how people that was like the accepted way to depict weird mind shit yeah it's also you know, not all that far off from, you know, Cisco talking to the wormhole aliens. Yes. No, exactly. A great example. A great example of exactly of exactly what I'm talking about there. The Star Trek one I always want to, like, I always call back to on this one. It's like a season three or four episode where somebody, where, where an alien is like, 
like tapping into Counselor Troy's dreams. Oh, As they've yeah. got Marina Sirtis and like this harness, and they've got her suspended in midair. And she's just like, she's like swimming. She's like making swimming motions there, saying, Who are you? What do you want? It's just so. I fucking... remember that one. That has that. Oh, and it had that had like the the two eyes with the yeah yeah very appreciative of the sa- the shadows yeah or and God. the Vorlons with the like the the it's like the eyes with the like glowing smoke stuff coming out of them. I think mm-hmm. it was like eye vortexes. It's been a while since I watched. Kind of hate that. Okay? It's been like two whole years. Oh man. So I feel like I, I wish that they had framed one of them. It, it doesn't matter quite which one. I feel like they would have had some success, you know, framing it or cutting it or whatever to be closer to um, when Kosh does his thing going into Sheridan's mind in All Alone in the Night. Because that one worked. Yeah. Yeah, I think it could have been more dynamic. And like... I, I've just got to say, like, the Shadow one feels a lot more active and, like, interesting. Whereas compared to, like, the sh- the Vorlon one, which is a lady in some blo- in, in a block of ice. I, I love the, I don't, the image of that. I though. don't even understand that one. Yeah. I, I think it's supposed to be, like, that, the, like, there's no, like, that the Vorlons are, they're so, they're, they're, or they're so stuck in that they're literally frozen. Yeah. Um. But but I mean, it's also just like it doesn't have a fun actor to play off of. Yeah. Like just just get the just get like just okay no because that's too much fun for Babylon Five in my opinion. It's like you get the human guy who does all the Vorlon voices. Yeah, that would, that would to be, be like their Mister Morden, but that would be that would be too much. I think. Yeah. Like for for we we don't get to have that sort of fun. I think here it's that's just no. sadly. I do love that piece of like costume design though on her with the like it, the image is very good, but it just yeah. falls flat as a scene. I think it would have been cooler in a comic book. Yeah, it, yeah, it would have it would have been like a much more dynamic. Like it, I think it would have been a cool image where if it was like you know if it was a comic book and you were doing these panels of like Sheridan talking around an ice block and just like having oh. some cool lettering there. It would be, that would be fine. I mean, I can see the page. I can see the page, right? Where you've got yeah. the page and the, the ice block is at the center. And then we have like panels going around that have shared and talking. Yeah. I just don't get the ice block thing. Like I, I understand what you guys are saying. I just don't think the ice block thing makes any sense for shrug. It looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. But the Vorlons are the, like the Vorlons functionally invented telepathy and for them to be like this crucial important moment in history and this is what they're going to do this is how they're going to pitch it is like here's a weird image of a chicken a block of ice also they spent so much time with the whole angel thing and nothing yeah give us like a wheel of fire with eyes come on cowards that's what I'm talking about (laughs) that's what I wanted I, I, yeah, I think it's just like it's a it, it's one of those things that it's like I don't know maybe it's a thing where it's like if you have two more weeks, um, you could like like somebody thinks of a better idea or something. I like it's it's fine. I think it thematically works. It's just like the execution on it falls a little flat. And if, if they'd had more kind of space for the episodes, it might have been able to have something more dynamic for both of those. Yeah, you know something with a better lead up and and you know lead down. We really can't talk about this. Well, can we? I don't know. I'm just really resentful of how bad the depiction of telepathy is on this show. It's like it's so. Here's my thing. It's how you know that JMS worked at Marvel for ten years and never wrote X Men. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! I'm, I am dabbing on this call right now. I'm sorry. That, yeah, I'm, that it was that was mean, and I apologize. No, no, we don't do that on this. Oh no, wait, that's a different show. Uh, I don't do that on this show, and I don't think you should either. Um, I feel like you should 
you know, take a victory lap around his corpse because that was a uh, that was straight cold blooded. Um, it, it's fun. that's no, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> this show has two modes of telepathy. It has like finger to the temple constipation face or <laughs> like weird like rotoscope filter weird scene thing and like i get it it's telepathy it's not like but there's so many shows that have managed to like yeah it's convey the weird like and it's not like you here's do the thing you do weird it's mind not skates. like he, he it's not like he can't do weird mind shit <laughs> he did sense eight like he lands. Well, he, okay. He also had he also had some other people doing that. And it's twenty five well, yeah. years later. Yeah, but I'm saying like eventually he kind of gets there, and that's a good example of how you you can do interesting like telepathic ish stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just I just resent that for a show that makes telepaths such a crucial component, he didn't put any effort at all, obviously, into thinking up some kind of a visual language. For what telepathy looked like. Other than like the jet black eyes thing. Yeah. Well, even then that's not consistent. Yeah. It, it's it's just, that's all. That's all. I'm done. I'm not, but for now. For now. <laughs> that's a threat. <laughs> no, that's a threat and a promise. That's how I roll. Okay. Um, God, what else do we want to talk about here? I, I would like to point out that when Lando breaks that fucking vase is the same like shattered vase fully that's in every other thing ever oh yeah i you know i don't hate it you know it's it's comforting it's like it's like the <laughs> lightning bolt from skyrim did you see the uh aaron will cut this out did you see the tweet that aaron just put a, a link to in Yes, yes. I, I'm losing my goddamn mind. Good lord. I want to meet these two. Good lord. I want to meet these two prop women. I want to buy them both, like, expensive bottles of alcohol. Because between <laughs> right? these two people, they have created literally hours of content for us. I, I just, like, I cannot think of two people in the universe I love more right now. I, where, where would I be? If we did not have that dick with. Yeah, but also, like, I love the questions. Thin or thick? You want visible veins? Spots? (laughs) Stiff or floppy? (laughs) Get out from under the desk, goddammit. We have questions. I, I, I love the enthusiasm and the dedication to authenticity that these women have. Props departments are the real heroes. This is how we get bad dragon. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we get bad dragon. I would bet a non I would bet a little bit of money that at least one of them has ended up in that in that field of employment. This is this is something that is probably a substantial digression here, but um <laughs> Uh, As if that ever on. fucking stopped us. <laughs> uh, are we about to get into a conversation about bad dragon no, here? Or no, is this actually, something? I was, I was oh, okay. talking about how right. prop de- no, fair you know, I was going to talk about how props departments are the real heroes, and that you know, I feel like yeah. this is one of the things that makes so many of like the modern superhero movies and stuff like that fall so flat visually in many ways is that they're relying so heavily on CGI rather than practical effects that it's like nobody has anything to work with and you don't get anything cool because, I mean, because props departments are unionized and you have to pay them real money. Yeah. As opposed to the borderline slave labor of graphics uh, companies that you can outsource for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I really miss the days of practical effects. What you're saying is you really resent the fact that while you could have gone and bought a Centauri dick prop uh, after B5 shut down production, you can't do that for a Marvel show. I mean, I'm not even saying that. I'm saying that they would just be like, you know, you look at the Marvel shows or like the Mar- the the Marvel movies and it's like, okay... You have filmed these people against a green screen with no contrast and then tinted it green. And we're supposed to think that it looks good. 
Thanks. Yeah. No, I'm right there. With I mean, you. they can't even light their movies properly, but we're not going to go down that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it all like stems from just doing absolutely fucking everything. And they're even doing the costumes with CGI these days, like rather than yeah. actual fucking costumers. Anyway, I'm done here. <laughs> I think I think we can all call out the the real heroes for this particular episode, which are whoever put Morden in that fucking Centauri wig. Is that what we were talking about last? No, that- no. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I want to say one more thing, and that's um, how many tweets, how many retweets do you think I need before Bad Dragon will make a Centauri model? I mean, I would contact one of the gears uh, turning. indie purveyors of silicone instead. I, I'm sure that it would ha- I'm sure they would make it happen at some point. You got to get up on the Twitter account and, and start soliciting creators. Okay, here, but Justin. my question is, is do you do you make something that has one or do you make something that has six? I think you make one because that's the, that's the important like. I or I the, you know no I I don't I don't commercialism I don't. then you can sell sell them in a set of six, you know, true. Get them at a discount. Also, we're talking about a lot of silicone here. Yeah, um, <laughs> and you don't need to make it like eight feet long or whatever. Um, it's okay. got to be long enough to steal cards under a table. <laughs> um, all right, so next we're we're done with this. We're done with the shadow war, except. <laughs> We're going to find out that there are dark servants on the horizon and that we've got so many fucking dangling plot threads. So join us next time where we're going to be covering episodes uh, seven and eight of season four, which are epiphanies in the illusion of truth to from us here at Babylon Project to you as the first ones. Get the fuck off our galaxy. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.